I want you to imagine with me for a moment that uncle asks you a question. You know the uncle I'm talking about. The, the uncle who wants nothing to do with your religion, wants nothing to do with Jesus. May, maybe for you it's a cousin or a neighbor. Somebody in your life that wants nothing to do with Jesus, wants nothing to do with your church, asks you a question this Christmas. And they say, what does God want this Christmas? That grandchild that wants nothing to do with your church says, Grandma, if God wanted something at Christmas, what would it be? Imagine with me, we could say, well, he wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and that would be true. We, we could say he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. There's a, a number of things, that we, ways that we can answer that question. He wants people who obey him. He wants people who we can come up with a list of things that we tell our, the neighbor, well, this is, this is what God wants if you're going to give him a gift this Christmas. Today I want to show you in Luke chapter 1 how God answers that question. What God says he wants at Christmas time. What he's up to. Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 68 finishes out this really long chapter. I'm sorry, 57 through 80. Finishes out this long chapter with multiple stories about John the Baptist's birth, about the prediction of Jesus' birth. It's got Mary's song. And now today we're going to look at the song that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sings. And when, as we look at that, we're going to see, like, we're going to see what is it that God wants at Christmas time. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, as we, uh, as we look at this Christmas song, help us to find out what it is that you want at Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, this is a, a wondrous moment. Verse 66, it says, the, the, everybody in the hill country around Judea, that's like all the hills around Jerusalem. So this is the capital city. Everybody around knows Zechariah and Elizabeth, who can't have children, have had a child. Zechariah, who couldn't speak, but now can speak. Like, what is this child going to be? 
The story starts with a miraculous birth. And yet, the focus is not on the miraculous birth. The focus is not on this baby, John the Baptist. So, they, they go to have the baby circumcised. This is his naming ceremony. And it's, it's no wonder that uh, over those nine months, ten months, that Zechariah had had a chance to write out for Elizabeth, the angel told me, that this baby is supposed to be named John. And so, it's not like a miracle that she knows his name is supposed to be John. But she says that the relatives who seem to have a lot of control over like this event, uh, evidently it's pretty normal for the relatives to take control here. They take control and are like, no, this is going to be his name. And she corrects them. And then, and then Zechariah does the same thing. But all of their attention is supposed to go on what it is that Zechariah says. Now Mary, like we studied last week, when she sang, she came to sing this, wrote this song that was a lot like the... Uh, a psalm from the Old Testament. This is what the Bible calls a prophecy. This is more like Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking God's words to the people. And then verses 68 through 79 is, this is God's message through Zechariah to the people. And what I want to do real quickly is I want to go to the center of his song so that we can look at the rest of it and understand what he's doing here. I want, to take your, I want, to, uh, uh, I want you to go with me to verse 33. I'm sorry, 73 and 74. This is kind of the center of this song, which helps us to understand everything else he's going to say. So Zechariah starts with, Praise be the Lord, or be blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. But in verses 73 and 74, he says, This is why God is doing this at Christmas. This is what God wants and what he's up to at Christmas. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and all of the focus is on this part right here, and to enable us to serve him without fear. All of the focus of Zechariah's song ends up landing at the, at the back half of verse 74 where he says, to enable us to serve him without fear. When it comes to Christmas, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us this is what God wants. God wants people who can serve him and not be afraid. When, when, when God is up to something at Christmas, verse 74 tells us that what God is up to is people who can serve him without fear. That's what he wants. And so if your unbelieving uncle or unbelieving cousin, or if your neighbor that is an atheist and seems to hate your church and hate it when you bring it up, says, what does God want at Christmas? Luke chapter 1, verse 74 gives you good reason to say what God wants is people who can serve him and not be afraid. That's what he wants. That's what God is up to. And what I want to show you today is this call in, in Luke chapter 1 for us to serve the Lord without fear. These verses give us three reasons that we can serve God without fear. That's what the whole song is about, pointing to this moment, serve with God without fear. There's three reasons we can serve God without fear. Verses 68 to 72 tell us that we can serve without fear because God himself does the rescuing. We can serve without fear because God himself does the rescuing. Verses 68 to 72, praise be to the Lord or blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Notice what these, these verses, verse 68 through 72, include. They don't include the things that we do. It doesn't start with, blessed be the Lord because of all the stuff that we've accomplished. Look at all of the ways that we've set ourselves free. Look at what we've not done, God. 
And said, "His praise be to the Lord, because He has come to rescue His. He has come to His people, and He has redeemed them. He has raised up. He has come to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember His holy covenant." Christmas is about, we can serve God without fear at Christmas because God is the one who does the work. Because God is the one that does the rescuing at Christmas. And rather than Christmas being drawing our attention to a list of rules that we should follow, it draws our attention to the fact that God himself came to us to redeem us so we can serve him without fear. He says, like, why has God done this, given us salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us? It's, the reason is because of mercy, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Zechariah is drawing the attention of generations in this song, generation after generation who read this, drawing our attention away from all of the things that we could pile up in front of God and say, look what we did for you, God, this year. And he said, at Christmas, it is God coming and putting himself out for us as a gift to us because of his mercy. Zechariah's attention. Remember, Zechariah has just had the son he has longed for, the son that he prayed for for generations, for his whole life. He's an old man, and he constantly prayed for his child. And the high point of his life, when his wife finally has a baby, Zechariah's attention is on what God is doing, not on, what his ba- not on the fact that he's got a baby. His attention isn't on, look at this baby. This baby must be up to something good. It's God is up to something good. The Lord is doing this. What I I love in this is that Zechariah draws our attention at Christmas to the fact that when the Lord does something great here, he doesn't send somebody else. He doesn't send somebody else to do his dirty work. Hey, this is something that's hard and it's not very fun and it's not very good. Hey, this is going to be miserable. He doesn't send somebody else to do it. He sends us. Or I'm sorry, he comes himself to us. We all know what it's like to have bosses that pass off every bad and difficult conversation to somebody else. Hey, well, somebody needs, you know, a, a performance, a difficult performance review. Why can't, a difficult performance, why can't you do this? We know what it's like to have somebody pass off the dirty work to us because they don't want to do it. But at Christmas, we can serve without fear because when we needed rescuing, God himself came to do it. I'm not a big poetry guy. But there's a, a poem I read a few years ago at Christmas. That It's called Christmas is an Act of War, which kind of draw my attention. Christmas is an act of war. What are we talking about? And in the poem, which I don't have memorized, uh, it's this, this long poem about like life as a battle and the fact that we seem to be losing and our heads are bowed low and we can't go on and we don't know how to get out of this and we don't know what's going to happen. And at the climax of the poem, this, it's this moment that says, Everybody draw your head up because the king's son has come to war. It's the king himself who has come to war for us. And so we can serve God without fear because when we needed rescuing, God himself does the work. So here at Christmas, what God wants, God provides. If God wants somebody that's rescued and set free, he does the work to set you free. So this Christmas, don't fear. If you're a child wondering, Could God love me? Could God be happy with me? Could my service towards God be good enough? In Christ, we can know that we can serve without fear because God has come to redeem us. If you're a parent, looking at all of the ways that you fail as a parent, 
looking at all the things that you've not done, the things that you've neglected, the harsh words that you've said, the, thing, the anger that you've felt. The, it, Christmas tells us we can serve God without fear as a parent because God himself comes to rescue. If you're an adult and your life is filled with regrets and all of the things you didn't do or the things you didn't do fast enough, the wasted years and the things you wish you hadn't done, know that what God wants in your life, he is providing at Christmas. He himself is coming to do the rescuing. You can serve him without fear. Second reason that we can serve the Lord without fear is because we can serve without fear because that is why God came. Verses 73, and 70, verses 73 to 75 tells us this. We, we kind of went there briefly earlier. He's remembering his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. This is what I love. This is drawing our attention back to Genesis chapter 15 when God made promises to Abraham. And what is God, when God keeps his promise to Abraham, what does he do? Verse 73, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So often, you and I go through life trying to serve God in our own holiness and in our own righteousness, thinking, well, if I, if I can just put enough distance between me and that sin that I just fall into all the time, that, then God will be happy with me, and I won't feel so guilty, and I can feel free. We go through life trying to serve God, and this is, I think, a mind-blowing truth, that we can serve God without fear. Don't just serve him. But he says we can serve him without fear because that's what he wants. He wants somebody that serves him boldly and gladly and enthusiastically and not afraid that he's got a frown on his face and that he's like, well, that's not good enough. He remembered his oath, his promise to Abraham to save the people, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies so that we can not just serve him, but serve him without fear. You see, that's our great problem. It could be that we don't want to serve him. But it also could be that we serve him out of fear. Afraid that we're never good enough and that God doesn't love us and he doesn't think our job as a husband, that he doesn't think our job as a, as a wife, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a worker, it's never good enough. And God is always with a frown on his face. Our problem is we, we, we serve him thinking, man, if I could just grow a little bit more and be righteous, control those thoughts, control those feelings, control those words, control those temptations... Zechariah tells us here in Luke 1, we can serve without fear because God comes to rescue us so that we can do the thing that he wants for us. God himself does it so we can serve him without fear. These verses remind me of Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. We just this fall went through most of the book of Exodus. And in verse, chapter 19, verse 6, God tells the people through Moses, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This idea that God is up to something to create a people that serve Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Picks this idea up again. Where he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Revelation chapter 1 also echoes this idea. The story of the Bible from Exodus to Revelation is this idea that God is after people who serve him. And the good news in the book of Luke, and the good news in Luke chapter 1, 
is that it's not just people who serve him. It's not just a kingdom of priests. It's not just people who declare his excellencies, but they can do it without fear. Christmas tells us there is a way that we can serve God without fear. That's what he wants, and he's at work in the world and in us so we can do it fearlessly, boldly. Not going through our lives wondering if God's always got a frown and it's just never good enough. Not always wondering, does God feel about me the way I feel about me? Just going, man, I wish you could be a little bit better. I wish you could do just a little bit more. I wish you worked a little bit harder. Christmas is this call where what God wants is to rescue a people who can serve him fearlessly. So the call to you is, this is what God wants in my life, is a fearless, bold Christian who serves God in the holiness and righteousness that he provides. The third reason that we can serve God without fear. Verses 76 to 79 tells us we can serve without fear because the Lord goes to those who lack. The Lord goes to those who lack. The Lord goes to those empty people, those empty places, filling those places up. Verse 76, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah is celebrating the birth of his promised child that God has provided for him. And it's, it's like the back end of his song, the back end of his prophecy is where he turns to talk about his son. And he, and he says, you, my child, are going to be the prophet of the Most High. And he says, you're going to go before the Lord. Like the, the whole reason John the Baptist matters is not just what he's going to do, but the fact that the Lord is coming behind him. Zechariah's eyes are not focused on this baby, but it's on what's behind the baby. That's where Zechariah's eyes are fixed. And so, and as he's talking about the ministry of his son and the ministry of the Lord who's coming behind him, he, he points out that there's like four things that John the Baptist is going to do. And you can circle these if you want. He, he's going to go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, to shine on those living in darkness, and to guide our feet into the path of peace. The whole ministry of this baby going before the Lord is to go and prepare people so that, for the Lord. To go and give knowledge to people who have none. To shine on those who are living in darkness and who are living in the shadow of death. He's, he's going to guide people who live in a land of war to guide their feet into the path of peace. The, each of these, these, these images point out these, these areas of lack. People that aren't prepared for the Lord. People for whom like the, the Lord's coming would be bad news. Those who don't know the way of salvation. It's those that are living in darkness that need a light. It's those that live in a land of war that need their feet guided into the path of peace. And so Zach, God through Zechariah is fixing our eyes on this, these shadow areas. These, these areas that are empty and unfilled. These areas that, that need a light. These areas that need knowledge. These areas that need preparation. And Zechariah is saying we can serve the Lord without fear 
Because it's not those that have it all together that the Lord's coming for. It's those that live in the shadows. Those that have emptiness. Those that have empty seats at the table. Those that have empty holes in their heart. Those that that go through life wondering, how can I get out of this darkness and despair? Those are the ones that Jesus is coming for. So we don't have to get the whole thing together to serve. We don't have to get all of this right so we can serve. If you live in darkness, Jesus shines on you in that place. If you're living in darkness this Christmas, Jesus is the light that comes for that place. One of the things I love is when the scriptures do this, they don't call us to just like pretend that the shadows don't exist. They don't, they don't call us to pretend like nobody lives in the shadow of death and everything's okay. And if you just put a smile on your face, everything would be okay. No, he says, actually, those of you that are living in the shadow of death, you are living in the shadow of death, but a light is dawning. A light is dawning. Those of you that don't know the way of salvation, knowledge is coming. Knowledge is coming. Those of you that live in a land of war, peace is on its way. Peace is on its way. And so Jesus comes to fix the things that we cannot. Jesus is the one that goes to empty places and fills them up. And Zechariah is directing our attention, saying we can serve with fear. Knowing that God is not put off by those emptiness, empty places in our hearts, those empty places in our lives. He's not put off by those. Those are the places He's coming to fill. And so we can serve without fear, knowing He's not put off by us. There are a lot of do-it-yourself projects that I like to do. Sometimes you do do-it-yourself projects because you don't have the money to hire somebody who's a professional. And sometimes you do them because you like it. Hey, it's kind of fun to learn something new and to fix something. And drywall is one of those jobs I just cannot do. Uh, Drywall is one of those things where there have been times where I was like, I don't have enough money to hire somebody to do it, so I'm going to try and patch this thing. But drywall is one of those things that usually takes an expert and is usually worth paying somebody to do. And one time I was heading up a renovation project and we had a contractor doing a lot of stuff and there were some volunteers doing some stuff and a volunteer came in and just made a mess of a wall. Just the wall was so bad. Like I'm bad and I wouldn't do it that bad. It was really bad. A few of you guys, you know what a bad drywall job looks like. And you're, you've seen that kind of a job before. And I was just like, this is a disaster. I think we might have to rip the entire wall off and start all over again. Because this, these seams, I don't think they can be saved. And, uh, and so, but it, it turns out, I knew a guy who knew a guy that was supposed to be a wizard with, with drywall. He could, he could patch and fix anything. He could feather anything. He could make the wall look perfect. And it's still kind of a leap when you know a guy who says, I know a guy, and he'll volunteer to, you know, to, to patch what this guy messed up. But, and by the time he was done, even the contractor was like, I've never seen somebody that good before. He was like, that guy's incredible. And, and I was thinking of that story because I can't do drywall very well. Some people can, can't do drywall at all and just make a mess of things. But somebody who knows what they're doing, man, they can fix, he can fix it, whether he has to rip it off the wall and start all over again. And I was thinking of that because at Christmas, maybe just year-round, so often we go through life thinking that what God wants is for us to get it right, to just get it right. Pray the right kind of prayers, read our Bibles enough, 
serve in enough places, give enough money, do enough things, work hard enough so that God will love us. And what we find here in the book of Luke in chapter 1 is that God's not put off by the messes that we've made and the empty places that we have. God's not like, why can't you just get it together? He's like, I want you to be able to serve without fear because I come for those empty places and those things that you have just messed up completely. He comes to show mercy, to rescue from their enemies, to give knowledge to those who have none, to shine a light in dark places to those who live in despair, to guide our feet into the path of peace, even though we're tempted to just fight. We can serve without fear because the Lord goes to those who lack. So this whole passage calls us to serve the Lord without fear. Serve him without fear. That's what God wants. But what if you serve with a lot of fear? Always wondering, God, have I done enough? God, did you want me to serve some more? Did you want me to know some more things? Did you want me to lead some more Bible studies? God, did you want me to give more to the poor? God, or maybe what what if you just don't even care? Church is just something that you do. Or what if you... You try and you try and you try and you fail. Don't serve very well and you definitely don't serve without fear. Where is the good news for those of us that just hear this and go, I don't serve without fear very well. Where's the good news for us? I was reflecting on this passage this week. It says that what God wants is people who serve without fear. And and I was like, I did some double checking. The Bible never tells us that Jesus was afraid. There are other people that are afraid. The Pharisees were afraid. The disciples were afraid. Lots of people that were afraid. But the Bible never tells us that Jesus was afraid. Instead, it tells us that he was constantly doing the Father's will. He was constantly working and constantly serving his Father. And he did it without fear. And yet, he died as a lawbreaker. So that his record as somebody who served without fear, could be your record. So that his record as somebody who served without fear could be your identity. And so that his record of being a, a servant who is never afraid could be your destiny. Not because you've worked harder this week or this year. Not because 2022 is going to be the year you get serious about your faith but because you have trusted in Jesus and so you have his record and his identity and his power. And that's good news. That's a reason that we can serve without fear. Where we go, oh, I'm actually serving from the record of somebody who served without fear, not for the record of somebody who served without fear. I can know that God's smile for me. It doesn't depend on how I did this week or this month or this year, but it depends on Jesus living and dying and being raised for me. That sounds like freedom from fear. Maybe you're here today and this needs to be the day that you trust in Jesus for the first time. Maybe today is the day that you you need to make the trade with Jesus, trading your best efforts, but your constant fear for his perfect service and his perfect fearlessness. How do you do that? The Bible tells us that God made the world and he made it good. And he put Adam and Eve in it and said, you will like serve me here. Serve me in this world, shepherding and stewarding this world. And Adam and Eve said, no, we will not live your way. We will not do your thing. We are not going to serve you. We're going to live our own way. The Bible calls that sin. 
And the Bible says that the, the wages of sin is death. It's death in this life, physical death, but d- death spiritually in hell forever. But instead of leaving us there, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to life so that he can give life to all who repent of sin and trust in him only to save them. Not people who trust in their service, not people who trust in their fearlessness, but people who trust in his service and fearlessness. And so today may be the day that you need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus to save you. Today may be the day that you need to make that trade. And if you... If you want to talk to somebody, grab me, grab one of our deacons at the end of the service and say, I I want to know for sure that I have traded with Jesus so that I can serve the Lord without fear. But if you are in Christ, then this can, instead of just being a law to you, oh, try and serve better without fear. It's this invitation to step into your record and begin to live that out. Imagine a life without fear. Like imagine, for real, a life without fear. But there's nothing out there that's going to that's threaten. There's nothing in our future that's going to threaten our ability to walk with the Lord and to love Him and be loved by Him. Imagine a life where we aren't afraid that God is unhappy with us. Imagine a, a church that doesn't have fear, that serves without fear. Not guilt. Not, hey, well, I, I should do this because that's what I'm supposed to do. Imagine a kind of church that serves without fear, knowing that God loves us, and so we're free. Imagine a community or a county that's, that's not marked by fear. Fear of not. That's what the Lord wants this Christmas. People, a church, communities that are able to serve Him with confidence that He loves us. Confident that He loves us. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank you that at Christmas you provide the very thing you want in me. Help us to trust in that. May we be marked by confidence, not fear. In Jesus' name, amen.